shout out to everyone with a beard out there. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Um, I w- it's always an honor, privilege, and um, it's a sweet, torturous thing to prepare a sermon for you guys and to preach it. Um, and I'm grateful for another opportunity to do so. Uh, it's always just awesome to be able to look out upon you guys and to see how beautiful God's creation really is. And you guys are a perfect example of that. Um, so with that, giving all honor and thanks to God, who is the head of my life. And uh, he is yours as well, whether you know it or not. And um, I want to thank him for this opportunity. Thank Alex for this opportunity again. Uh, and to those that are the great leaders of this church, this session, elders and deacons, and the many lead servants, and all of you, that uh, have your hands on deck as we try to continue God's work here in this community for the short time he allows us. Um, It is good to be here. As you see on your bulletin, uh, we'll be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. So if you have your Bible, then go ahead and turn to it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Hey, Z. Everybody good? Do we might need to stretch before we do this? Everybody? Y'all ready? Good. Good. It says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That that statement alone is just powerful all by itself. Some people I saw maybe breathe a nice sigh of relief when you read this because it's good to know somebody has a plan for your life, right? But God says, I know the plans that I have for you, and it's coming from God. So it's the image of you coming to God with this this long contract or this this nice-sized pamphlet, and you have written out everything you want. You have what you want for your child. You have what you want for your own life. And God takes it, and he looks at it, and he hands it back to you. And when he gives it back to you, it's blank. So for you parents, there goes arranged marriages right out the window, right? He hands it to you and it's blank. And he says, I know the plans I have for you. And this contract you just handed me, I want you to sign it, but it's going to be blank. I want you to agree to my terms, the plans that I have for you, the, the blueprint that I have for your life. I want you to sign it and agree to it. And you're looking at this blank sheet of paper. Because God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Be with us now. We thank you for your existence. It's because of your existence that your word is here and your word is true. It is because of your existence that your word became flesh and lived among us and set the true living example. Be with us now as we look at your word. I pray that your people will hear you and not me. I pray that I will continue to decrease even as I am weak now, that your strength may continue to be shown. Amen. We will look at the prosperity gospel. We're going to look at the prosperity gospel. We're looking at Jeremiah and as I've said in a couple of my sermons, uh, because I've preached through the prophets a couple of times before, 
that there's a cycle that we see in the prophets. Uh, the prophet shows up after he's called by God. He tells the people to repent. The people usually don't repent. So he tells them again to repent or God will punish you. Again, the people usually don't repent and they usually end up getting punished by way of usually exile or becoming captors by a foreign land. The people begin to cry out to God and they begin to complain about how hard it is and the prophet will remind them that I said repent. And if you was to repent, God would deliver you from your captors. And so here it is, it's no different. We have Jeremiah being called out and in this book we see the cycle. Israel is content with their life of sin. And they have blatantly disobeyed God's commandments. Now, Jeremiah has been called out from among the people to preach God's word of judgment upon them. And what we find is perhaps one of the most resilient and faithful prophets of all the Bible. You don't hardly ever hear that when you hear the word Jeremiah. You guys know him as the weeping prophet, right? The prophet that was depressed. He's the author of Lamentations. I mean, you named the book Lament. That's what we know Jeremiah is. But Jeremiah is one of the most resilient and faithful prophets that the Bible has to offer us. Jeremiah went through some hard, rough, tough times in his life. The same man that God said, I know the plans I have for you, was beaten and imprisoned by his own people. The one whom God said plans to prosper was thrown into a dried well, a deep hole, and was left there to die. The man that preached faithfully for over 40 years only had, for what we see in the Bible, two people that actually listened to him. And convert and turn from their sinful ways. And neither of them was the audience he was preaching to. He had a right to be depressed. He had a reason to give up. Jeremiah said to himself, I will not mention Yahweh's name anymore. I will not speak of him anymore. But there was a word in me that was burning and it felt like fire shut up in my bones. My bones. Many of the great heroes of our Christian faith found themselves in times of deep depression, going through hard, hard tribulations. It was in those times that we saw a powerful God use helpless humans. Jeremiah remained faithful. He wasn't popular in his time, but he was faithful. He didn't have the largest congregation, but he was faithful because God is not impressed by the numbers. He wants faithfulness. Let's look at Jeremiah and let's compare him to Jonah real quick so we can see who's the most successful of the two. Jonah didn't want to preach to Nineveh. He ran from God. It took a pretty nice-sized miracle for him to end up in Nineveh. And when he got to Nineveh, he preached, and he didn't want to, and the whole city repented. And then he got mad and they repented. That's Jonah. Then we have Jeremiah. 
beaten. People turned their backs on him. People calling him a lie, saying that he's not from God. He went through this for over 40 years. 40 years, two people. 40 years, two people. Who was the most successful? KB, a rap artist I said, I listened to, said that success is not a number, it's faithful labor. To God, success is not a number. He could care less with how many people follow you and listen to you. He could care less how much money is in your bank account. He wants to know, are you being faithful? He does not call us out of our sins to be popular. He doesn't pull us from the dark life and dark past that we have so that we can be the strongest person on earth. He could care less about any of that. He wants faithfulness. Because man looks at the outward things, but God looks at the heart. So Jeremiah was faithful. Now, he was also known for his powerful images that God told him to use. He, he to put it in the terms of the children, God told him to buy a brand new pair of shorts one day. He went to the store, bought a brand new pair of shorts. God says, bury it under a rock by the Euphrates River. He got the brand new pair of shorts, laid them in under the rock, and God said, leave it there for days. After some time went by, weeks went by, God told him to go back, get the shorts. Jeremiah goes back, he gets the shorts, they got holes all in them. They're torn, they're old, they're dirty. God says, Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, these shorts, they're, they're worthless. And God said, the same way those shorts are worthless, so are my people. That's a powerful image there. He, he had images such as he would go to a potter and he would watch him make the clay because God told him to. Now, I took a pottery class in uh, college. I needed one more class my senior year to graduate. You've all done it before. <laughs> and... What you would do is you would get the whatever, the, the clay, you add a little water, you mold it. If you add too much water, you got to add more clay. You add too much clay, you got to add a little bit more water. And you mold it to what you're trying to do to get the A in class because you want to graduate. And if you was to mess up while you was molding something, simple. You destroy it and mold something else, right? Jeremiah is watching this. And God says, Jeremiah. What just happened? And Jeremiah said, well, God, I'm not, you know, the brightest crayon in the box. But what it looks like happened is the potter was making something. It didn't work. He destroyed it and made something else. And it looked good. And God said, so is my people in my hand. For the pot that is in my hand, the clay jar that's in my hand is, is, is ruined. And I must destroy it to make something else. Jeremiah has some powerful images. He once went before an entire people. He got a brand new glass jar and shattered it right there in front of all of them. And he says, just as this glass jar is shattered, so will God shatter you. Whew, that's a nice sermon right there, right? And so now we come to the point in Jeremiah chapter 27, you don't have to turn there, where Jeremiah has come up with this other illustration, this other image that God has told him to use. 
He has gotten a yoke or this, this big wooden thing that you, you, you put your head and your hands in to get stuck. You're, you're in bondage. You can't move. He got one of those and he's walking around the city now. And he goes to the people and he says, just as I'm in bondage, imagine me in handcuffs. Just as I'm in bondage, so will you be in bondage. And he's just there looking, right? He's just there looking crazy. And the people are getting scared, upset, and a little angry that he just told them they were going to be in bondage at the hands of Babylon. And after he preaches this mini-sermon, this other prophet comes. His name is Hananiah. And he says, this is true. You will be in bondage. But it will only be for two years. Jeremiah, not knowing how long it's going to happen, hopes that this guy's true. He says, amen. Amen, brother. Let's hope you're true. And then Jeremiah gave a little history lesson to Hananiah. He says, I want you to remember that the prophets before us prophesied famine, pestilence, and all kind of terrible things upon people and kingdoms. And they came true. And he said, the only time we were able to believe someone that prophesied peace but we had to wait to see if it happened. And if it happened, then we knew they were true. But if it didn't happen, we knew they was a false prophet. Jeremiah just had this conversation with Hananiah from all the people. Basically, we find out then that a false prophet is simple. It's someone who says something from the Lord and it doesn't happen. That's a false prophet. So Hananiah takes this yoke, this wooden block that Jeremiah is stuck in. He takes it off of Jeremiah and breaks it. And he said, in two years, the bondage will be over. Jeremiah says, amen. I sure hope this is true. And he walks and goes his way. And as he's walking to go his way, and once he gets to wherever he's going, he's chilling, God speaks to him. And he says, uh, Jeremiah, go back. And tell the people that the prophet that spoke to them, Hananiah, told them a lie. And that they will not be in bondage for two years, but that they will be in bondage for 70 years. Not two years, 70 years. So what we have today and what we're looking at in the Old Testament is false prophets. What we find in the New Testament, and Paul was constantly warning against them, was false prophets. And what we often have even today, preaching to God's people, preaching to lost souls, is false prophets. And the most popular message of the false prophets is what is known as the prosperity gospel, or the health and wealth gospel. Now, the prosperity gospel is true if it's the true prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is true if it's the true prosperity gospel. What we have here and what we find so often is a prosperity gospel, however, that teaches us how to use God instead of how to be used by God. What we find too often in the prosperity gospel of today is a message that emphasizes our wills over God's will. God is not some holy ATM that you can go to 
And whenever you want to put in the combination, get a blessing out of them. Hmm, Psalm 23, money. You know, Jeremiah, uh, uh, blessings. That's not how God works. What God has been emphasizing to his people from the beginning is that whether you are in slavery or in the promised land, to be content. Whether you are in the wilderness and all you have is bread and water, or you're in a land flowing with milk and honey, to be content. The true prosperity gospel teaches contentment in Christ alone is more than all the money and all the fame that this world has to offer. Contentment. Contentment is a theme preached throughout the Bible. Basically it means be happy with what you have knowing that God will supply your needs. We see it throughout the Bible. And what we find is people oftentimes quote Philippians 4.13. You all can do it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We find verses like that. And, we, and, and Jeremiah uh, 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans for a hope in the future. We know those by heart. We see them on cups. We see them on t-shirts. People get them tattooed on their arms, across their foreheads. I can do all these through Christ who strengthen me. And they say it and they say it. And it's true. God does know the plans he has for you. It's true. You can do all these through Christ in its proper context. When we see Philippians uh, 4.13, Paul says this. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. That's Philippians 4.11. Most of you didn't know that. Philippians 4.12, right above 4.13, Paul says, I know how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. I know how to live in hunger, and I know how to live with plenty of food. I know how to live in abundance, and I know how to live in need. Then he goes on to say, I can do all these through Christ who strengthens me. That's his proper context. So when you say, I can do all things through him which strengthens me, what you're saying, or what you ought to be saying is, I can go through the struggle through him who strengthens me. I can handle bad news through him who strengthens me. I can handle having a lot of money through him who strengthens me. Contentment is the key. But there are false prophets who tells you, you got to have more money. And that God will bless you with this more money that you need. It's guaranteed. You say you believe in Jesus, got the money. Is that true? Is that what the Bible says? How can someone be a true prophet of God when he is constantly pushing God's people to chase after the very thing the Bible warns us against? 1 Timothy 6.3 tells us, If anyone teaches a doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And then it goes on to say that a lot of them imagine that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire, this is a strong word, desire, you got to have it to be rich, fall into temptation, into a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, the love of money, that some have even wandered away from the faith. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Luke 12.15, and he said to them, Jesus, take care and be on guard against jealousy and covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Matthew 6.19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, neither thieves do break in and steal. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do not pursue stuff that's going to leave you tomorrow, but pursue God who will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the true prosperity gospel. Let's look back at Jeremiah real quick. Jeremiah preaches the whole truth while the false prophets we're preaching half-truths. I'm sure that the false prophets were saying that God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure they were saying that too. Jeremiah was just putting it in his right context. We get to Jeremiah, and he has told them that they will be in bondage under Babylon. Hananiah says that God told him it would only be for two years. Jeremiah says, Amen, brother Hananiah. I sure hope so. Then he goes on by his way. God tells Jeremiah to go back and tell them it will not be two years. It will be 70 years. Can you see what Jeremiah is going through right now? Anybody? All right. Imagine. Do this great creative. uh, Use your mind real quick. Imagine that you are in this prison. And you have to speak to every inmate. You're about to preach a sermon. And you're getting ready to preach this sermon, but before you preach all of them, there's another guy ahead of you preaching to them. And this guy has been getting them excited. He's been saying stuff such as, I know you killed people, but you only be here for two years. I know you killed people, but you only be here for two years. One year, and maybe parole if you're on good behavior. Now, this guy's been preaching to him. They're giving each other high fives in the middle of the service. It's going great. While he's preaching, the judge that sentenced all of them to prison calls you to his office to talk to you while he's preaching. And he tells you that when this guy's finished preaching, and it's your turn to go up and tell them they, they won't be only serving two years. They'll be actually serving life. Now, imagine that. Can you, can you imagine the threats you're going to receive once you go up there and say, hey, that was a really nice sermon. And, uh, you know, he quoted Martin Luther King and all that. That was awesome. But um, you guys, 
you're actually going to be here for 70 years is what the judge told me. Actually for life. That's what the judge told me. Can you imagine the curses that's going to be thrown at you? Or actual literal things that's going to be thrown at you? All for telling the truth? That's all he did. He just told them the truth. And what the judge told him to tell them. Jeremiah tells them, you're going to be here for a while. About 70 years. And he even emphasizes it with this long letter he writes them in Jeremiah chapter 29. If you read it, you'll see that uh, it is a letter he has written to the exiles, to those in Babylon. And what he says, if you look at verse 4 and 6 of chapter 29, is he tells them to build houses and live in them. He didn't say get a room at the Babylon Inn or to rent an apartment or to make a teepee or a temporary hut. He said build a house. A house represents longevity. You're going to be here for a while. Then he says to, to plant gardens and eat their produce. He didn't say just plant. You're going to be there long enough to eat whatever you plant. And we're not just talking about grapevines and tomatoes. We're talking about peach trees and apple trees. You're going to be here for a while. He then tells them to find a spouse and have children. Dating alone is going to take a while. And nine months to have a child, and then another nine months, he said, children, poor, you're going to be here for a while. Then he says, to take your children and find spouses for them. Some of you got children now. You don't know how they're going to find a spouse. It's going to take a while. Then he says, then have your children have children. That is a long time to be in Babylon. And Jeremiah tells them, you're going to be here for a while. For about 70 years. Now, and he's, he's telling them all this. It's bad news. They're mad. They really want to kill him. But what happens is Hananiah dies for lying on the Lord. And then, while all this bad news is going on to the Israelites, God says in the middle of it, I know the plans I have for you. In the midst of terrible news, God says, I know the plans I have for you. The Israelites have just found out that they will be in bondage to their enemies for over 70 years. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. My brothers and sisters, can I give you some words of comfort real quick? God knows the plans he has for you. That's the best word and the best comforting news I can give you. These plans, they may include hard times, but they're God's plans. And I can tell you right now that these hard times of today are not worth comparing to an eternity of glory with Jesus. The plans may include crying at night, but they're God's plans. And one day God is going to wipe every single tear from your eye. God has a plan for you. The plans may include family and friends turn their backs on you, but they're God's plans. And there is a man that will stick closer to you than a brother. There are God's plans. We must learn that when we 
hear bad news, to trust that they're God's plan. And we must learn to echo, as Joseph did, as he looked back over his hard and long life, that that which was meant for bad, God used it for good. We must echo Job as he felt that even God himself had turned his back on him. And we must still be able to say that though you slay me, yet would I trust you. We must be able to echo Paul, who's been shipwrecked, beaten, and falsely imprisoned, and be able to say that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's the prosperity gospel. Is that we can have the faith of the three Hebrew boys. That even if God doesn't deliver me, I can comfort and rest in the fact of knowing that he's able to. As we near the conclusion, we see God give his people something to look forward to. He says in verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. He then says in verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The problem is that the Israelites then and the American Christians of today, we don't read that verse as we ought to read it. God said, you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. But this is what this is how we read it. You will see the solution. And you will find the solution when you seek the solution with all your heart. We read it as you will seek the answer. And when you seek the answer with all your heart, you will find the answer. And God says, don't seek the solution. I am the solution. Don't seek the answer. I am the answer. Don't seek the plans. I'm God. I know the plans and I know where I place them. That is the prosperity gospel. He says that I have plans. You don't know them. I know them. And there are plans to prosper you, not harm you. They are plans to do you good, not evil. They are plans to give you a bright future and hope. And that plan is Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There is only one true prosperity gospel. And that is the life and work of Jesus Christ. The true prosperity gospel isn't living your best life now. It's dying to yourself daily. The true prosperity gospel isn't having a full stomach It's having a full heart. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. The true prosperity gospel isn't sleeping in a big house. It's resting in a big God. That is the true prosperity gospel. And Jesus knew what the true prosperity gospel was. And he knew it wasn't just a crown. It was also a cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. By his death, we live. 
by his innocence, we are no longer guilty by his humiliation. We are made prosperous. We may not see it here. But one day, we're going to walk on streets that are made with gold. Not paved with gold, made with gold. One day, we will eat and never hunger again. One day, we will live in a mansion in the sky. Because I heard Jesus say that in my Father's house are many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, i got to come back to receive you. So that where I am, there you are also. That is the true prosperity gospel. <clears throat> Before I sit down, I'm reminded of a, a, a nice cute story of a, a little rich boy talking to a little poor boy. And the little rich boy and the little poor boy was outside playing. That's a poor boy. He can afford, afford to own the R. <laughs> and they were outside playing in the playground one day. And the rich boy told the poor boy, he said, you see that, that, that big house on top of that hill? My daddy owns that house. And the, the little poor boy looked at it, and he saw the biggest house he'd ever seen in his life. And he just hung his head down low. Then the, little, the poor boy, the rich boy told the, the, the poor boy, do you remember those movies we see with the big boats on the oceans? He said, my daddy got one of those boats. And the poor boy looked down and he felt even smaller. And he just hung his head low. And the rich boy kept telling him and reminding him of all the things that his rich daddy has. And while he was bragging, the little poor the little poor boy remembered something he heard at church with his mama one Sunday. And he stopped the, the rich boy in the middle of his bragging. And he said, did you see that hill that your daddy's house is on? My father owns that hill. And he said, did you remember that ocean that your daddy's boat was on? My daddy owns that ocean. Even told us, be still one time. My brothers and sisters, there is no better prosperity news than to know that you are a child of God. Father, we thank you. We love you. Teach us to be content in you and rest in you alone. Amen.